Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today I am very pleased to introduce to you Susan Shapiro. Susan is an award-winning writing professor who freelances for the New York Times, New York Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, Elle Magazine, The New Yorker, as well as Oprah Magazines. She is the best-selling author and co-author of 17 books her family hates, like Five Men Who Broke My Heart, Lighting Up, Unhooked, The Forgiveness Tour, and a book I just bought, The Writing Guide, called The Byline Bible, where she reveals techniques she's perfected, sharing how to land impressive clips to start or relaunch your career. Sue teaches her instant gratification takes too long courses at the New School, NYU, Columbia University, and in private classes and seminars now offered online. And over the past two decades, she's taught more than 25,000 students of all ages and backgrounds at NYU, Columbia, Temple, the New School, and Harvard University. And I want to share with you first off, before we get into the interview, that Sue's depth of experience, as well as the variety of her experiences, is just gold, what she's about to share today. And I think this is so relevant, not only for people who want to kickstart their writing career, but also for the kinds of people that I work with in my practice, which is people who have a different career, who want to launch their incarnation as an author, right? They want to transform from an expert uh, and add that mantle of author. And this methodology that she talks about and this whole approach to crafting articles that these major publications will readily publish not only can help you. So if you're an author, let's think about this for a second. If you can write an article on your subject expertise and get it published in a major national venue like New York Times or Washington Post or The New Yorker, then that makes you more appealing as an author if you are looking for that traditional book deal. So even if you haven't thought about writing articles before, I strongly encourage you to pay close attention to what Sue has to say about how do you craft an article that major publication would actually want to buy. And so that can help you build your platform. And it also can be a tool once your book is out to write art. And she talks about this as well. So look for this, listen for this. She talks about how do you craft articles once your book is out to keep your book front and center and in the conversation. So lots of gold here, lots to learn and get your pen out and sit back and enjoy. So Susan, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you for having me. 
I'm so excited to have you today. Um, you know, as you know, my colleague Sharon has taken at least one class with you and has spoken so highly of you. So I feel oh, really she just privileged. published a great piece, right? Yes, yes, really outstanding. And I was so impressed. And so now I get to talk to the master behind the student here. So this is really great. <laughs> so would you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about your journey into, because you've authored, I believe, what is it, 12 books now? If you count the co-authored books, I say I'm the author, co-author of 17 books my family hates. Right. <laughs> Which also speaks volumes, actually, but we'll get into that in well, a bit. Se- several of them are about therapy, which explains how I was able to do it. <laughs> right, right. And isn't it actually, let's just dive right in because that just points to, I think, such a big concern, especially around nonfiction authors, especially around people writing essay or memoir, and this anxiety, fear, trepidation around how do you write about difficult stuff? We're just going to go right into the deep end here, Sue. So how do you write about the hard stuff? When these people are still alive and yeah, talk about this. First off, I come from a confessional poetry background. Mm. So I studied with, you know, at NYU at the time that I did my graduate degree, it was uh, Joseph Brodsky and Yehuda Amichai and Sharon Oles and Louise Gluck. So it was just the most brilliant Galway Canal, the most brilliant confessional writers you've ever met. And I was sort of schooled on, you know, the modern Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton and Robert Lowell and Maya Angelou. So those were my gods. So I came from that background. And I think at a certain point, well, a mentor told me I had too many words and not enough music in my poetry. And I was heartbroken, except for he was an editor at the New York Times Magazine who started buying my essays. And he thought there was more poetry in my prose than in my poems. So I basically took the same subjects that I'd been delving into and studying and writing, which were deepest, darkest secrets of my soul, and started writing essays about them. And then those wound up being memoirs. So for me, like the biggest insult Joseph Brodsky used to say to our class was there's no blood here. Yeah. So luckily, my background encouraged deep, dark explorations. And then I had this great therapist who his line to me when I asked him how to stay, he helped me quit smoking and drinking and drugs. And I said, how do I stay healthy and successful? And he said, lead the least secretive life you can. Mm, Yeah even justified the way that I think and write even more. And that's in your book about the byline book. Right. Byline Bible. Actually, I include my, the first assignment I've given my students for 25 years at NYU, the new school in Columbia University. First assignment I give is write three double space type pages about your most humiliating secret. And those pieces have been not only published the best. So we're talking New York times, wall street journal, New Yorker, New York Magazine, Harper's, you know, the best places in the world, basically. But also they have led to an amazing amount of books and even TV and film. Right. Yeah. So what was it? Modern Love, I think, right? Didn't you? Yes. Several in Modern Love led to books and podcasts. One student's piece was, you know, in the TV show, but also literally books and movies and TV series. And in 25 years of teaching, I would say if somebody says to me, I want to jump into publishing or I want to get a book deal or I want to start a career. There's really no better way to launch it than free double space, brilliant essay on writing about your most humiliating secret. And of course, there's ways to do it well. And I 
mm-hmm. in Byline Bible definitely discuss yeah. ways to do it well and ways not. And, and so you never want it to be like a, a victimized fetch about everything bad that everybody ever did to you. That right. tends to not work. And one of my rules with good first person writing is that you have to question, challenge out and trash yourself more than anybody else. Uh, yeah. um, but so, yeah, so just over the years, not only has it been my preference, but then watching so many students get wildly successful. I mean, I just wrote a humor piece about a humorous piece. What do protégés owe mentors? And, you know, I have so many students who've gotten like $500,000 book deals. Right. <laughs> I have to, you know, so then I got a new piece about je- being jealous of my students who are getting these huge book deals and TV deals and movie deals. But it's just, yeah, and there's a lot of reasons why I've certainly analyzed it about why these pieces are so successful. I mean, I think, you know, sex sells and they tend to be sexy pieces or they're provocative. I mean, a lot of my students have been in modern love, which is just very popular to, you know, to go there and analyze what's really going on, whether it's in terms of sexuality or mental health or addictions or family strife or fertility. I mean, there's just been so many thousands of brilliant pieces my students have explored over the years. So I just think it's a great thing to do. Now, I would never say to somebody, for example, if somebody isn't ready to write about something, I would need to and rape and abuse and, you know, all these heavy topics come up. I would never push somebody to publish something they aren't ready for. And there's a lot of ways to make sure that what you're writing is has literary merit and also there's quite a few times where I've actually advised somebody not to publish. Mm. And one of my jokes is, you know, don't blow up your whole family for a $200 essay. You know, if it's a, if it's a $200,000 memoir, okay, let's talk about it. $200 essay, don't do it, you know? Right, right. So, and therein lies another question. So how do you help somebody navigate where that line is? Because there's got to be a whole spectrum, right, of where people... Right. I mean, part be. of it is, you know, so I've been doing this for a lot of years and I have, you know, like I said, 17 books out and I read a lot. I mean, I right now I'm trying to keep up with like 30 different books that students have published. But so I really read a lot and I really know this genre and I read all the newspapers and magazines that, that do personal essays. So, you know, I think you absolutely need to be encouraged to tell your story and then have an environment where you're getting honest criticism and feedback, whether it's a classroom setting, which I think is great. I've been doing lately, weirdly online kind of exploded. So instead of only teaching in person in New York, I've been doing private classes and seminars all over the world. I get fascinating students. So, you know, that works really well. Some people have uh, beta readers or sensitivity readers that are colleagues. Some people can do it if they're in a writing program or if they have other professors that they trust. Some people start their own free writing groups based on, I'm in a lot of online groups, Facebook groups with writers. You can hire a ghost editor. So there's a lot of ways that you, and I sort of, in Byline Bible, I kind of laid out everything I teach in my classes for 25 years. And there's quite a few people who have read it and then just sent me an essay and said, I did what you said. And look, it just came out in the Washington Post or the New York Times. Which is exciting. <laughs> Something. It's exciting, you know, but I think if you read the book and you have absolutely no access to having anybody look at it, I even give right. people who are good for you to show and people who are not good. And if somebody's going to say, oh, you're so brilliant, this is amazing, show it to somebody else. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that is so important because I found that writers including myself, I think not necessarily the best judge of your own work, right? Sometimes I've seen both. Sometimes people are way too harsh in some areas. They're way too easy on themselves and others. Yeah, you definitely need critical feedback. And like I said, there's even, I mean, I sort of lay out the plan in Byline Bible and it's like, here's the assignment. 
once you've gone through the things that make it more likely that you'll get published, then you need to get feedback. In fact, I think I say like wrong way to do it is to finish something at four in the morning, decide it's brilliant and send it to the New Yorker. <laughs> not a good way to do it. After, you know, after two time. glasses of wine or three glasses. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ways that you could get honest feedback. I personally have two very intense free writing workshops weekly that they kill everything I write. And I love it. They help me so much because the worst thing in the world is for you to think your piece is great and send it to an editor who doesn't respond to you or hates it. So I love it. I mean, sometimes it's funny because they'll say like the first three paragraphs are really boring and I'll be like, thank you, you know, because it just helps me to, to know that. Or, you know, one that I get quite often, which is also helpful is like, you seem like a white, well off bitch who I hate. From, yeah, from, you know, you're privileged and you're not acknowledging it. And like when I did my first book, Five Men It Broke My Heart, people, my big critics, my beta critics were saying, you know, this nice husband that you and you're flirting with other people and we hate you. And it was extremely helpful advice because what happened was later in the book, there was a very intense emotional scene where I get two faxes in the same day. One is from my agent who tells me that the book I spent five years on has been rejected by the rest of the editors who she sent it to. And the other one is the gynecologist basically saying to me how my husband and I will never be able to have children. And I had a line that felt like the agent was saying, the only baby you have is ugly. We don't want it. So what my writing group said is put that up front, put that in chapter one. And now we get you and like you and understand your struggle. And now we're more interested. So sometimes if you get criticism, there's very, very easy ways to make your narrator more vulnerable or likable or relatable. But again, I think you need a good critic who who can be honest with you. And you have to be able to take criticism. If you can't take criticism, then don't do it. In fact, quite often... You know, the New York Times Modern Love column, I've had about 50 students break in there. And the editors, not only do they critique and edit, they will often show the piece to the person you wrote about to get their okay. Yeah, I saw that in your book, too. Yeah, right. To make sure it's it's factual. Yeah. yeah. And also, if somebody, if your ex or your ex-mother-in-law or your husband or your wife or spouse doesn't want it to be published, they won't publish it. You have to have an open, you know, you write something, you do the best you can, but you have to understand that it's a collaborative process and editors and agents put their fingers all over it. And yeah, you have to make sure that you're ready for it. And I've definitely had students who had a problem with it and I had to walk them through what the process is and, you know, and really to make sure that they're ready. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so many things you're talking about are so relevant to people writing books, even if it's not memoir or essay, right? When even you're writing a big idea, thought leader book or a how-to book, because there's still that need for some vulnerability, right? There's still that need. And I think a lot of times experts who are writing books have this illusion that they need to look bulletproof, right? That they need to just be about the facts. Even even fiction, you know, even fiction. And I publish four novels and I have a good overview and I do these online sell your book classes where I have like top editors and agents come in and they're just so helpful. And it's just good to understand the market now. So I've definitely, I had a student who wanted to write a brilliant student who wanted to write a YA book. He was a gay Anglo man who wanted to write a character. The the main character was a lesbian Latino and the editors were just like, don't. Yeah. Just don't, don't even go there. And then it's impossible. It's just that it would make it a billion times harder to write. I think this was a YA novel. It would make it so much harder to not have the protagonist be closer to your voice. Yeah. That was just why even bother if you haven't finished the book and there's a choice, why don't you just focus on the character that own voices that's the closest to you? You can have any characters you want, but don't try to get in the head of someone that's the opposite of you 
know, for no reason, for no important reason. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the great things about opening yourself up to criticism, especially if it's a teacher or a mentor, somebody older asking editors and agents is, you know, if you're willing to hear criticism, it just helps you so much. I mean, it just, you know, I've had people take the five week book class and they just tell me that they learn more in basically 10 hours than they did in 10 years with undergrad and graduate and PhD degrees, because, you know, academia, they don't really talk about publishing and well, and if they are, it's a completely different kind of publishing because academic publishing is not what mass market publishing is. You know, one of the things I say to my clients is you have to remember, I don't care what you're writing. If you're writing for the mass market, you're in the entertainment industry first. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And, and you're that, also- That is not true with academic writing, however. <laughs> right. So, right. And there's yeah. also, you're just opening yourself up to a lot of things that you might not understand, which is why it's so great to take a class or to, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you could hire a coach. I always say to people, if they want to email me, I can recommend- classes or writing coaches or ghost editors. So, you know, there really is available a lot of ways to get feedback on your work before you throw it out into the marketplace. I mean, even if someone buys it, you have to make sure that it's good. You know, if you write something really provocative, someone might want to publish it, but that doesn't necessarily benefit you if it's not good enough yet. Exactly. That is also true, right? And that's why it's so important, the kind of feedback you're getting. And one thing I've seen people do is kick it over to their social networks where it's very different to get feedback from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, right? Versus- yeah, and by the way, for example, I have a co-authored middle grade novel coming out from Houghton Mifflin called World in Between. And I really took me a long time to figure out this voice. And I hired ghost editors who knew this genre well. In fact, my former student, Abby Sher, who's just this brilliant YA and MG writer. I just needed somebody who'd done it before. And I actually also hired Sharon November, who was the head of kids books at Viking Penguin. So I just needed people. Yeah. I mean, I know brilliant editors who do nonfiction and who do adult fiction and who do poetry, but I needed people that very, very, very specifically understood this voice. And I always recommend if you want to publish something, you really want to go to somebody who is an expert at that genre. That'll really mm-hmm. help. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice. You know, something that you were talking about is like kicking off your career as a writer and by getting articles published. And again, I think one of the things that a lot of people come to us, that they might be amazing experts, but they really haven't published yet, especially not, you know, mass market media. And so I think this is not only a tremendous idea for people who want to kick off their writing career, but also for people who want to kick off their career in authorship. Right. And by the way, Byline Bible, I really, when I taught, you know, and I'm still teaching, but when I taught at NYU, the new school in Columbia, I had a very interesting mix of students because I would have MFA students and I would have older students and I would have 14 and 15 year old high school students that were able to take my school of continuing ed class. I think I had a 95 year old take my class. So I really boiled it down, the Byline Bible. I boiled the specifics down for anybody who wants to do this. So it could be, I've had a lot of doctors and lawyers and PhDs take it who just don't understand the very specific Mm -hmm. details you need for publishing in newspapers and magazines. I've had people who have MFA and PhD degrees, but as you said, they didn't know anything about commercial publishing. And I've also had people just starting out in other fields who've never written anything. And, you know, it works. And it's just, I've spent a lot of years analyzing and figuring out the hundred little stupid rules and things you have to understand. Right. That a piece published. So yeah. And I also say to my students that you get a hundred thousand dollars worth of my therapy by osmosis. 
So I've been doing this so long that, you know, I basically anything that could be screwed up, I screwed up. And then I went to therapy and flipped out and then I got better critics and then I figured out how to publish it. So you get the benefit so that you don't have to make the mistakes. I'm sort of listing the mistakes that you want to avoid before you even start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you seem to have a very specific process for crafting and then going on to pitch an article. You know, it depends on what my goal is. And I always say with my classes in Byline Bible, I always say that they always say you're supposed to write the book you wanted to read and teach the class you wanted to take. So I did an undergraduate degree at University of Michigan and then graduate degree at NYU and nobody ever talked about publishing. And so it really took me a lot of years. I worked at the New Yorker and I published in the New York Times and it took me years and years and years before I really understood an overview. So part of my process has been to figure out, and again, great therapist. In fact, I wrote about him in a couple of my books, but in Lighting Up, I wrote about how he helped me get rid of my self-destructive patterns and, and sort of do more with my work. But so I think, you know, it all comes down to, and I have this in Byline Bible, it all comes down to what's your goal? Because when somebody takes my class or seminar or just contacts me, what's your goal? Some people who've never been published, their goal is just to be published. And in that case, there's a lot of places maybe that don't pay, but that would get back to you right away and be all excited to publish your work. And maybe you just get a clip and that launches your career. You know, maybe it goes viral. That could be great. Some people want to launch a book, in which case that's a different animal, you know, and you have to write a certain kind of piece and publish it in a certain kind of place, usually in order to get editors interested. Some people come to me and they say, I'm really broke, you know, and I just lost my job and I really need to, you know, I'm trying to make the most amount of money possible. And I've had students make as much as $5,000 for a piece. Some people, it's a matter of, especially with Me Too and addictions, they want to come out in a certain way, or they want to help other members of their community, or, you know, they feel really strongly about something and they want to do good in the world and they feel like writing about it would help. So there's all kinds of reasons why somebody would want to publish. So I help my students with that. And then I have to figure that out myself. So, you know, at a certain point when I shifted from doing newspaper magazine work to wanting to promote books, the rule became, you know, I wake up in the morning and I work on a book project. I had a mentor, best-selling mentor who always said to me, and I told him I had writer's block, he said, plumbers don't get plumber's block. He (laughs) said, no, don't be self-indulgent, just get to work every day. And then he said to me, a page a day is a book a year. And Mm -hmm. that really stayed with me. And it turns out a page a day is actually more than a book a year. I was going to say, it would be a very long book. (laughs) But anyway, so I definitely ask myself, what's my goal? And I have to do it every day and every week. So sometimes my goal is I want to get, like today, my goal was to get a chapter ready for my writing group that I have tonight. Sometimes if I want to write an essay, I have to say to myself, is this going to benefit one of my books? And so I ask the editors in advance whether they'd be able to link to one of my books. Sometimes I intentionally pick the topic of one of my books because then it, it right. has a lot of benefits for me. And sometimes I start writing a piece and my writing group will just say, don't publish this piece now. So I won't because it's, I trust their judgment. And especially with political subjects and Twitter wars and stuff like that, there's times when you know, when I have books coming out where it just doesn't benefit me to step into any kind of political argument. So I'll sometimes step back Mm -hmm. and wait because, you know, I'm very conscious of what's going to benefit me and what could hurt me. Luckily, I can bring that to my students. So I've definitely told people, I mean, I just had somebody yesterday, she was telling someone else's story. She was telling a story that I felt was a little bit more of her daughter's story than her story. And I just said, I don't necessarily think it's going to benefit you 
to publish this right now, you know, again, for a couple hundred dollars, the harm that you could cause might not be worth it. So is there another topic that where you're doing good in the world or where you're plugging your own book or where you can uh, attain a goal that makes more sense? Yeah. And something I wanted to circle back a little bit that's sort of related to this, but when you talk about people wanting to write about certain issues like abuse or, you know, the Me Too and things like that, that have been written about a great deal, how do you help people find that unique angle or, you know, like, how do you deal with when something that's really been written about a lot to make it so that a publication would say, yeah, let's publish this also? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it, you know, depending on the piece and the topic. One of my tricks that I give away, one of my secrets that I give away in Byline Bible right away is be timely. So what you want to do is you want to find something in the news that connects with what you're writing about. And sometimes maybe it's worth reshaping your piece based on what's going on in the culture. So just for an example, I was working on a piece that I think I made a joke about it, but about how I had a couple of students who got $500,000 advances and I was jealous, jealous of my own students. So that was, you know, I always think provocative is good. You want to say things that you're supposed to write the thing that no one else will write. And I think it was um, Arthur Miller who said something to the effect of um, the only thing worth writing about is the unspeakable. So I knew that was a good subject to write about, but when I'm in the middle of doing it, it turns out there were two very famous novelists who were having a huge falling out on Twitter, a few. And so I use that as my lead. And all of a sudden, my own mentor protege story became more of a comment on what's going on in society. And actually have a great editor at Salon, Aaron Keene, who said, maybe you want to bring in even more famous mentor protege conflicts. And so what was great is I think it wound up making my piece more relevant and more topical, more relevant, and maybe even able to help more people versus just my own story. So one of the things that's really good to do is find something in the news. And I read five newspapers a day and, you know, I'm online a lot and there's a lot of great magazines and also movies and TV shows. It's kind of a great excuse to <laughs> binge watch Netflix and, there you uh, go. <laughs> and also, you know, studies, new studies. So you really want to stay up on what's going on because sometimes that'll give you a fresh angle or that'll let you know what's in the zeitgeist. So that's, I mean, just for an example, my most recent memoir is called The Forgiveness Tour, and I was working on a piece about it. And then Justin Timberlake apologized to Janet Jackson and to um, Britney Spears. So that plugged right into what I was writing. And basically the idea that I played with is, is it ever too late to apologize? And does a belated apology count? You know, so I did that for, I think, um, NBC.com. So that's one of the tricks that I use. You know, another trick, as I said, is that you want to write the piece that only you can write. So when I see pieces that I've seen before, you know, I'll just say to my student, I just read that, you know, or like if it's out there and I read it before, then you got to spend more time to find a more unique angle so that it's not just regurgitating something that's already out there. You want to come up with something. And and do you find when it seems like more generic like that, that the opportunity is most likely for the author to get more vulnerable? Or no, you know, sometimes it's just having an open mind and being flexible, just for an example. So I've had a lot of editors who come to speak to my classes, have a brilliant, amazing editors, including Dan Jones from Modern Love. I just have some fantastic people who have given advice to my students at panels and at classes and seminars and now zooming in. And Dan and a lot of other editors have basically said we have a moratorium on dead parent and grandparent stories. And what that means is just that other editors 
their bosses have basically said it's too depressing. We've already done this. We don't want to keep doing the same thing. And so they really discourage those kind of pieces. Mm-hmm. So I had a student who, and this happened twice. I had two different students who really were very invested in writing about their losing their mothers, which of course is a important subject. So what I said to them is it's not that you can't do it. You just have to find a different angle so that you're not telling the same story that everybody else has already told. So right. in one case, I think her name was Elizabeth. She buried in the first draft of her piece was that part of what was so painful about having her mother be sick when she was younger was that she knew her mother would never meet her husband. Mm. And so she was in a relationship, but she was trying to rush the relationship so that she could marry the guy so that her mother could be there for her wedding. So I said, that's, wow, that's heavy. Wrap the whole piece around that. So instead of making it, especially for modern law, which is often about romantic relationships. So she wrote that and that was a brilliant piece that got published. Then Mm -hmm. a student of mine, Brian, I think his name was, wrote a piece. The first draft was about losing his mother. And he mentioned on her deathbed, she made some reference to she wanted him to go back to Ireland to find their family because they were so well thought of there. So that was really interesting. So I just happened to ask him, so did you ever go there? Like, did you know what happened? And he said, oh, yeah, but what she told me was totally it was the exact opposite. I was like, <laughs> you were outlaws and criminals and they threw us out of the county. So I'm like, oh, my God, write that. <laughs> so that's that something. Piece, yeah. So that piece sold to the New York Times magazine. So quite often, I think It is collaborative. And if you have mentors or teachers that you trust, if you're open to maybe considering a different, less known angle, I think that's something really uh, that could be very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I also push people to not only get more vulnerable, but also to get more universal. So what's the underlying question of what you're writing? Like just for an example, let me think there was somebody just the other day was telling me a story. Oh, it was something to the effect of that. The thing that he hated most about his family was the thing that wound up saving his life. Sometimes, and I know with my forgiveness book and all the essays I wrote, I always tried to get back to the universal question, which was, could I forgive somebody who doesn't apologize? And when I was writing Five Men Who Broke My Heart, both in essays and in the book, the question was, did I marry the right person? So a lot of times, if you really can't necessarily go deeper and darker, if you could find that universal question that people will relate to, sometimes that'll do it. I'm making notes now, Susan. Oh, good. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Actually, I have my book that's coming out in January. It's a sequel to Byline Bible, and it's called The Book Bible, How to Sell Your Manuscript No Matter What Genre Without Going Broke or Insane. And in that book, I even have a whole chapter, a whole section called Genre Fluidity. And what it's about is similar to what I'm saying with essays is that I can't tell you how many times I started a project and I had this vision and it didn't sell. And instead of giving up, I asked for feedback and I wound up switching the category and revising and then it was able to publish. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to, because I've done this so much, it's funny because I have 17 books out in eight different genres and I was afraid that was making me sort of like a literary dabbler with no real expertise, but it turns out it happens to be very good for having an overview of publishing So for example, one of my students, Tony, wrote this fantastic piece that was about, he said, it was called, I'm not giving my father a Father's Day present. I already gave him a kidney. (laughs) Uh, And it was just this fascinating story. And he wanted to write a memoir about it. And his dad had been sick when he was growing up. And it's uh, Tony Harari is his name. And what happens is 
I suggested instead of an adult memoir, I think this would make a great YA story, Hmm. middle grade story where you could fictionalize it because that way you could change the age. So he was a little bit younger when he was faced with this horrible decision, which is I love my father, but I don't really want to do this life changing surgery. So to me, I wasn't sure that since he's still young, I wasn't sure it would make an adult memoir because it's fairly common. It's not really unheard of. But I never read a kid's book about that subject. Sure. So sometimes if you're willing to be flexible, and I, in my seminars, I talk a lot about, I have several projects that started one way. And then because I was open to taking criticism and to reimagining them by doing that, I was able to then sell the project sometimes to, you know, a top publisher, you know, so my attitude is, of course, for your first draft or an essay or a book, do it exactly the way you want. But then if it's not working or you're not having luck externally, that's when it's a good time to go to an expert, someone who knows the genre well. Or even before you're testing it, right? Because it's it's much harder to go back and say, I improved it. Will you look at it again, right? Versus getting that's the- true, Although once in a while, I will say, you know, there is beginner's luck. And I have quite yeah. a few students whose very first clip was in the New York Times. So huh. once in a while, you know, you get a thing in your head. There's the story that you want to tell and you- write it. And I've definitely had students who their very first clip is the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. Or So sometimes you just get really lucky. And writers tend to be kind of stubborn, intense people. So if somebody says to me, I'm not taking your advice, I want to do it this way, then I'm like, okay, go for it. Sure. And see what kind of response you get. I'm not saying send it to 50 people, but send it out a few times and see what kind of a response you get. And then if it doesn't work, then they come back. And then I say, okay, here's what I would do. And then by being open to criticism, sometimes, you know, that does the trick. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they've tried it their way. And then I actually know, even though they say you can only have one shot, sometimes I've helped people revise a piece so extensively that the title is different and the beginning is different and the focus is different. So they actually have been able to go back to the same editor because it seems like a different piece. Oh, neat. Yeah. So that can work. Yeah. That's a great way to keep it alive, right? Without, right. Uh, yeah. Right. And also, you know, a piece that you wrote four years ago that you didn't sell, if you Google and you look for <laughs> topical beginnings, then that could be a totally different piece. Exactly. Absolutely. You've got so many wonderful ideas. You can tell it's come from a lot of experiences and a lot of years of not only your own work, but teaching so many people. Yeah, I mean, it truthfully, it took me a long time. It was a very long struggle because yeah, I'm, I'm from Michigan and, and you know, my, my family was not thrilled with my career choice and I couldn't make a living. And I had all these fucked up relationships and fucked up addictions that were getting in my way. And I couldn't make a living and I had all kinds of jobs and I wasn't able to really publish my first hardcover book until it came out when I was 43 years old. Mm. So I moved to New York at 20 mm. and my first real success happened when I was 43. So what's mm. good about that for my student, I always joke is that so any mistake that could possibly be made in this career, I made it. <laughs> 23 years, you get a lot of, you know, there's right. a lot of <laughs> all those years. So yes. Yeah, so in a way, I think that actually might even explain the great reception that I've had, because I think like I notice in my students who are 20 and just right off the top of the bat, start publishing everywhere and getting book deals, the knives come out and people resent them, you know? Mm. So I think that with me, it took me so long that I think people sort of have pity or they sort of feel, (laughs) you know, they sort of like the late bloomer angle and they feel like, you know, and when you've worked 23 years at something, I mean, there's definitely the sense that you deserve success. You've earned it, right? (laughs) Also, I think the teaching buys me good karma, you know, because I have helped a lot of people also get published. So I feel like 
when you're helping other people, I think that it, uh, I'm not just sitting around chasing after my own bylines. I'm curious, tell me a little bit more about your classes. So does a class include people writing all different kinds of genres or do your classes separate by, you know, what the focus is? Well, mostly they're nonfiction. And truthfully, I was teaching very specific classes at NYU, the New School in Columbia. Usually, my big class was always writing for New York City newspapers and magazines. And I would have editors come in and and it's, you know, it's pretty much what I write in the byline Bible, but it was teaching people how to sell personal essays and service pieces and op-eds, like basically the shortest, Mm -hmm. quickest pieces that one could publish. And we would bring in pieces and we would critique them. And I did that in my private classes too. When I went online after the pandemic, so it's been 16 months, a lot of things changed. Mm -hmm. And so what I found, interestingly, I found even more editors were open for new material, which was exciting. But I also found that maybe because editors were working at home or they were more busy, instead of writing the whole piece, which is what I recommend in the Byline Bible, I found quite a few editors who I work with who all of a sudden said I would rather get a pitch. I would rather you write me three lines about what you're going to write, even if it's just an essay or an opinion piece. And let me tell you if I'm interested in this topic or which angle I would like or how many words I would like. Mm. So I also found it was hard to go over 1500 word modern laws on a Zoom. I was losing people. So I tried just as an experiment, I tried to do a five week online Zoom class. I called a pitching class. And when I asked people what they hated the most was reading the long pieces out loud and what they loved the most was meeting editors. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I tried one class and I thought, okay, let me just read pitches and let me have as many editors as I can come in. So I had like 15 editors come in a five week class. So at the beginning of class, we'd go over the pitches and then every week I would bring in, you know, so you'd get amazing, you know, again, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, LA Times. What was really cool is that now online, I could get anybody all over the country. Right, right. So not only did it take off, but what was really interesting was way, way more people were selling their work. And I always had a lot of people that were publishing in my classes. And I think the reason was the editors were very specific about what they wanted, you know, in their pitches. But also the pandemic was so dramatic that even 14 and 15 year olds or 25 year olds or book authors or parents, everybody was going through such traumatic stories of I had to move or I lost my job or now how can I work when I have three kids I have to take care of or my uncle's sick or we have seven people living in my house. What do I do? So people were writing and by the way, all over the country Mm. and the world because uh, some of the editors were interested in in international stories. So people just started selling stuff left and right. So I kept doing that. So that's been exciting. And the promise that I make is that if you write a cover letter, a pitch letter, and you send it to an editor, and of course, I'm bringing in a lot of editors, so you could certainly try them. But if the editor says, yes, I'll take it, or even I'll look at this on spec, then you send me the whole piece and then I go over it on my own. Yeah, great. That tends to work much better because that way everybody in the class could sort of meet each other and hear their ideas and hear their pitches. But Mm -hmm. and then you meet the editors, you know, and then what's exciting is then we put every week we put the clips in the class, you Mm -hmm. know, we put them on the chat. So a week before, two weeks before somebody heard the pitch and then they met the editor class and then there's the piece. So it winds up being exciting and demystifying the process. But it also means that the people in the Zoom from all over the country, some of them are like in Europe, it's midnight and in Asia, it's 6 a.m. So they don't have to sit through a 1500 word piece and watch me edit it. 
They just hear a three line pitch. Yeah. And it's a really good thing to learn how to do because a lot of people don't know how to succinctly, you know, you got to come up with a title. You got to, you know, the Hollywood movie pitch, make it fascinating mm-hmm. or interesting in a few short sentences. So that's one class I've been teaching that's been really successful. I'm going to do it again August 2nd. I was actually surprised because I usually don't teach in August. I go away to visit my family in Michigan, but now it's on my computer so I could do it. Right. And, oh, uh, there you go, right? You don't have to be in New York to teach yeah, it. People, yeah, and people are publishing so much. So I'm going to do another one of those. And I do, sometimes I'll do a one-shot seminar where people bring in one short piece under a thousand words and I edit during the Zoom and tell them how to publish. So I do those once in a while. And then I also do a how to sell your first book class. And that's been really exciting because again, I could get editors and agents from all over the country to come in and answer questions about book projects. So I could sort of help people before they waste years, you know, my first book. Well, one book, it took 13 years from start to finish. So instead of a book launch, it got a book mitzvah. (laughs) And I made so many mistakes. So in a way, what's really exciting about the book class is online is that you know, it's very rare that you'd be able to talk to an author, a seasoned author, a top random house or, you know, counterpoint or just these great editors. And then a top literary agent and ask them 20 questions like, does this make sense? Or should this be a YA? Or is this an adult memoir? Or would it be better as fiction? Or is my, do I have enough of a platform for self-help? So it's been really exciting. Some people have gotten agents and a few people have gotten book deals since I started. So that's exciting. So I've been trying to experiment with what can I help people with on Zoom, which is kind of different than when I have a, you know, at the schools, we would have a 15 week class sometimes for three or four hours every week. And that's a little bit of a different story than the two hour Zoom for five weeks. So I've been playing around. But what I love about it is that the great news for writers is that books are still happening. They really numbers way up during the pandemic. Kids books are happening and also newspaper magazines. I mean, even though some of them are in trouble, boy, they're still buying a lot of work, you know, from freelancers. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a certain kind of work and you definitely have to be timely and you definitely have to be on the pulse of what's going on or add wisdom to something they're already covering. But it's actually been an exciting time, I think, for writers and artists. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Now we're getting close to the top of the hour, but before I let you go, I have to ask you about this. Because you said in your book, Byline Bible. Yes, Byline Bible. Thank you. That you have a course that called Instant Gratification Takes Too Long, which this sounds like the course that was made for me. So I. <laughs> what is this? this is what it is. I call it the method that I teach, the overall method that I teach, I call it the Instant Gratification Takes Too Long method, where the goal of all my classes and seminars is to write and publish a great piece by the end of the class or the seminar. So what happens, what I found was that, again, I did my undergrad and graduate degree. So we're talking six years of intensive study. And I came out not even knowing how to write a cover letter to send out any of the work that I was on. So my method is I want to teach, you know, and of course, I can't compete with Nobel Pulitzer Prize winning writing teachers. But what I can do is I could teach the one thing that nobody teaches, which is how do you get out there? Mm-hmm. How do you market the work? You know, I have a degree in poetry and I'm a very good critic at my own book column at a certain point. So it's not that I don't care about the literary merit, but if you could combine the literary merit with a little bit of business savvy and an overview, and you know, I've had now a good dual career for a lot of years now, so it gets really exciting and you really can, you know, I say to my students, three pages can change your life. You know, and it's so, so important. So, so I will say, so that's the overall method. And that's basically gotcha. everything that I teach 
I have that in mind as a goal. I'm very goal oriented mm-hmm. at this point. So there's definitely a goal. And, you know, if somebody wants, if somebody's just beginning or they want a more experimental class, I know tons of brilliant teachers in all genres. So I could recommend mm. teachers that are slower. It's just nobody really teaches the stuff that I wanted to learn, which is what do I send out to who and how do they buy it? And how do I get money? And how do I make a living doing this? And how do you build on it? That's so important, right? Because if it doesn't get sold and it doesn't get out there, and then you're just writing to yourself, which isn't the same kind of experience. Right, right. And like I said, nobody was really doing this and that this is what I wanted. So it was kind of what's that line about? There's a line in a poem about how you become what's missing. Right. Well, okay. So how would our listeners find you? Well, first, by the way, I have a launch event for my co-authored book, World in Between, an online launch event that is July 27th. And I'm going to send you a flyer for it. Fabulous. It is, um, it's at Shakespeare and Company, but it's online. They're sponsoring it. And it's just an hour panel where I have amazing editors and agents and three students who, interestingly, who all launched their books with short pieces in the Washington mm-hmm. Post and New York Times. So that's very exciting. And I think it's only $15 to get under the price of a book. So right. that's the next thing that I'm doing, which is really exciting. And also people could, if they want to email me, profsue123 at gmail.com, or you can go to my website and I'm constantly updating all the events that I'm doing and all the panels and the classes and stuff like that. And since I have to cold call so many people and cold email so many people, I promise I always get back to people. So if anybody emails me, you know, I absolutely get back to them. And I'm also love social media. Like my students taught me how to do it. So you can (laughs) follow me on um, Instagram. It's Prof Sue one two three and on Twitter it's Susan Shapiro Net uh, Facebook so I love and I post everything on LinkedIn I post all my events and stuff on all the social media platforms and that's exciting for me especially now that everything's online so I get students from all over the globe wonderful well I just thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom today and I'll send you a flyer for the upcoming event in case please do yes and we will provide a link where people can sign up and we'll put that in the uh, podcast notes I so appreciate your coming on today thank you so much thank you so much Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.